Good evening. I wanted to clear something up I said today. You know, if I say something that offends you and it's from the Word of God, so be it. But if I say something stupid out of my own mouth and it's not from the Word of God, I want to clear things up. And I, I kind of felt like at the beginning of the message today, I kind of um, almost slammed the older folk a little bit. But I, 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 didn't, I didn't mean to do that. I want to make a point. When I first got uh, interviewed to be, a, be the pastor of the, of the church there in Louisville, Kentucky, the promised land, there was, it was full of older folk and, and quite a few younger folk in it too. And in the interview with the church, they said, hey, what are you going to do to get the young people to come to church and stay in the church? And I said, nothing. See, I don't believe that the, that the young people are the future of the church. Unlike what is said very often, let me explain myself. How many people believe that Jesus is coming within the next 10 years? Just, if you had to put, you, you believe that? I believe that with all my heart, okay? When I, when I ask them this question, they all their hands go up. How many people here is 80 years old or older? A lot of hands will go up in some of our churches, won't they? Yeah. How many people that are 80 years old or older plan to live another 10 years? Who's the future of the church? Everybody. We're living in different times than we lived before. And, and, and here's what happens in our churches, and this will fit right with our message tonight. Our churches oftentimes get so focused on bringing the young and keeping the young, they'll do anything to keep the young people in the church. So the young people says, I want to bring in the rock band. And they'll say, no, we can't do that. If you don't let us, we'll leave. Okay, do it. Well, we're, we're going to do this in the church. Well, we, we don't think that's right. That's not based in the spirit of prophecy of the Bible. If you don't, we're leaving. Well, uh, okay, do it. And before you know it, what you have is a nightclub and not a Seventh-day Adventist church. And brothers and sisters, that's happening to many of our churches. Let me tell you quickly what happened there. I went into the church, brand new pastor, scared to death. I, I, I know exactly how um, uh, um, Solomon felt, you know, when they made him the king. He's like, I don't know how to even go in or go out. Like, I didn't know how to go in the church and go out. How do pastors do this, right? And, and I just made up my mind. I, was just, I wanted to stick with the Bible and the spirit of prophecy and love the people. It was like the second Sabbath at the church. I invited the whole church over for dinner. We had about, I don't know, 75 or 100 come to our house. I don't remember. My, my poor wife, she, I do her that way often. So y'all can come to my house this, after, this evening if you want to. You got about an hour drive. But we really cared and loved these people. And I never have wavered on that promise that I'm not there for the young people, I'm there for everybody. And we preach messages from the Bible in the spirit of prophecy. And in two years' time, 50 souls come to the church, many of them. I haven't baptized anybody over, say, I, think, I don't think I've baptized anybody over 50. And it wasn't because I brought the rock and roll into the church and brought the world into the church. It's because we just stayed faithful to the Word of God. And, 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 and have you read the book of Philip? Yeah, I've been writing it. It's, it'll be canonized one day. <laughs> and, it say, and it says something like this. What's it profit a man to have a church full of people and lose every soul? So I want to preface my sermon with that tonight. I, have, I love old people as much as I love any young person. In God's eyes, that saint that sits in my church, that's my 82-year-old elder, my head elder, God loves him as much as he loves any of us, and he wants him into the kingdom of God as much as he wants my, my uh, 13-year-old daughter. You follow that? Amen. So it's not the children and the young people that are priority. Converted people are the priority. Amen. I want you in the kingdom. If you're, not, if you're in a church and you're not in a kingdom, you've wasted your time. So let's pray as we get into the message tonight. Oh, Father, 
you've given us a blessing on this Sabbath. The music, Father, uh, Brother uh, Lemon, his afternoon service here that he had was powerful. I thank you for that. Father, I thank you for every dedicated individual that is in the sound of my voice right now, and I pray that your spirit will continue to be poured out on each one. Lord Jesus, we're longing for you to come. Give us your power to finish your work in Jesus' name. Amen. What's my most favorite story in the Bible? Does anybody remember? David and Goliath. First Samuel 17 we're going to talk about it tonight. There's so much in this story that applies to us right now. It's my most favorite story in all the Bible. Now, my, my life students are chuckling inside because every time I get up to teach a Bible study, they're saying, I get up and say, this is my most favorite one. And, uh, and, and this one is, though, really my most favorite story in the Bible. First Samuel chapter 17, David and Goliath. And uh, one of my most favorite quotes from the Spirit of Prophecy is one found in the book of Education. Uh, I'm sorry, Evangelism. Evangelism, page 18. And it says, If our people will go forward in faith, doing whatever they can to make a beginning, and laboring in Christ's lines, the way will be open before them. If they'll show the energy that is necessary in order to gain success, and the faith that goes forward unquestionably in obedience to God's commands, you know what the promise is of that? The promise? Rich returns will be theirs. Amen. That's the promise. Amen. I believe it with all my heart. Let's look at verse 1. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 1, the Bible reads this way. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Shoko, which belonged to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Ezka and Ephesdamon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched in the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. There was the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. Where was it the Philistines were pitching? Their tents. In Judah. Who owned Judah? It belonged to God's people. What we have here is you have, you have God's people on God's territory. You have the devil's people on God's territory. There's a, ba there's a valley between them, and there's a battle getting ready to ensue. But there's something very interesting about this battle. Everybody's afraid to fight. Let us pick up here. I want you to notice in verse 3. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. Israel believed. Did they believe in God? Were they God's people? It was God's church, and they were standing their ground, didn't, weren't they? They weren't running. They were standing their ground. They, had, they, they believed something was lacking. It was faith. You had, you had on the other side of this valley, you had the other side of this valley, the, the, the enemies of God, and they're taunting God's people. Let us go on. We'll, so we'll see how that works out. There went out a champion, verse 4. There went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span, like nine feet tall. That's a big dude, isn't it? Yes, it is. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. Now, as we read through this, I want you to pay close attention, very close attention. At very, it's very much a key as we go on in the message tonight, at what Goliath is wearing. Goliath is represented here by the enemies of God, it's, and, it's, and we're going to notice what he's using to battle God with. He has a helmet of brass upon his head. He had a coat of arms, uh, his, armed with a coat of mail. And he had a coat, his coat weighed 5,000 shekels of brass, about 110 pounds. This nine-foot-tall fellow walking around with, like, me on his back. And he comes down there. I mean, we're, we're setting this up. Are you going to be afraid? He had a helmet of brass upon his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. His coat weighed 5,000 shekels. I already read that, didn't I? And he had grease of brass on his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders and a staff in his hand of his spear was, was like the weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. And then, on top of this, some of you may have never noticed this before, there was a guy standing in front of him. K 
carrying his shield. So it wasn't just Goliath that they were going to have to go down there against. It was Goliath with his little armor bearer. Now, as I read this story, something started coming to my mind. The armor bearer was probably big enough to whip David easily. I was like, okay, let's just send Goliath home. The armor bearer can take David. You know how the story progresses, so I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead a little bit. But something was strange about this. This guy, verse 8, stood and he cried to the armies of Israel. In other words, he's crying to God's people, and he said to them, Why are you come down and set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and you're the servants of Saul? Why does he say it like that? I'm just a Philistine, you're the servants of Saul? If you remember, the servants of Saul, the children of Israel, they, they had their Ark of the Covenant one time stolen by the Philistines, back in chapter 5 this same, of this same uh, book. They had been stolen by the Philistines. And they, and they mocked it and said, hey, look what we got. we got. We have their God, and we're going to put him in, in a temple with our God. And what happened to their God? He got his head knocked off, right? Because the true and living God has power to do things like that. And so this Philistine comes down. They remember that story. But, they, but the boldness of the devil has come back into them. They come back, and now they're taunting. Don't you serve the living God? Why don't you do something, cowards? And so... As he stood and cried to Israel, he said to them, Why are you come and set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine? You're the servants of Saul. Choose you a man and let him come down and fight with me. Come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if he does not prevail and I kill him, then, or, and, and kill him, he shall be our servants. You shall be our servants and, ser- and serve us. Excuse me. And serve us. I was like, where were you going with this? Let me ask you a question. Of all the children of Israel, of all the people, who should go down and fight Goliath? Saul. Saul, why? Hey, yeah, you remember he was the king, but not only was he the king, he was taller than everybody else. And let us go back here in, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, because we've got we to set this a little bit. 1 Samuel chapter 8. You remember God had been leading his people in 1 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel chapter 5, God was taking care of his people. I mean, think about the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and God himself delivered it back. Did God need the children of Israel to deliver them? No, he can do it himself, couldn't he? But the children of Israel kind of got tired of this whole thing of trusting God. They, they wanted to trust in their own wisdom, their own knowledge. And they wanted to be like the rest of the churches, the world. Let's read it. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 19. The children of Israel had come and they started complaining, saying, hey, we want us a king. And Samuel said, no, 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 you don't want that. And they said, yes, we do. Verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, but we will have a king over us that we may also be like the other churches. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Samuel heard the words of the people. He rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, give it to him. Give them what they want. They're going to be sorry. Make sure you tell them how sorry they're going to be. Give them what they want, but make sure you tell them how sorry they're going to be. And so in, ver- in chapter 9, it goes, it goes on down here. Look what it says in verse 2. And he had a son whose name was Saul, and Saul was a young man, goodly. He's a good-looking guy. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders up, he was taller than everybody else. Hmm. Verse 21 of the same chapter. And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest tribes of Israel? Am I family the least of the families of tribes of Benjamin? Wherefore do you ask me so? Samuel had come and told him, hey, you're going to be the king. He's like, well, who am I? How can I be the king? Very humble. But something changed. Samuel 
I mean, Saul, at his beginning, was definitely a leader. He was depending on God. Who, what, what can I do? I was depending on God, but that changed. God raises up leaders. He puts them in position. But if we don't remain humble and we let God lead, things will change. Let us look at how it changed in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to look at the marks here of true leadership. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 11. At this point, God had told Samuel to tell Saul, go down there and destroy the Amalekites. Don't leave anything. Make sure they obey me. Last chance for you. So in verse 11, uh, we're picking it up here. Sam, uh, Saul didn't do what he was told. It repented me that I have set up Saul to be king, God says to Samuel. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried to the Lord all night. And then Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. It was told, that Samuel, told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and is gone, and now is passed on to Gilgal. Verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the Lord's commandments. At this point in Saul's ministry, did he believe he was doing what God wanted him to do? He said, hey, I've done what God asked. I'm obeying. But look what, Saul said. Look what Samuel says to him in verse 14. Samuel said, then what's the meaning of the bleeding of the sheep I hear in my ears and the lowing of the ox? Look, now look, notice here, who's the leader? Who's the responsible one here? Saul is. He's the leader of Israel, right? Look what he says. Saul said, they did it. It's the church's fault. I gave them what they wanted. They did it. They've brought, it says, they have brought from the Amalekites, for the people sh uh, spared the best sheep and of the oxen and sacrificed unto the Lord, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest, the rest, we, we, we destroyed it all. You follow what's going on there? Anything that's positive, the leader here, supposed leader, takes all the credit. Anything negative, he blames the church. He blames the congregation. I get so tight in my stomach when I hear, when I hear our churches going out and doing surveys and asking the congregation what they want in the church. And then they have committees and they put them together and they say, okay, the church wants this, we've got to give it to them. No, no, no. If I read my Bible correctly, when I, when I read back in, in the book of Exodus chapter 32, and, and, and the people came to Aaron and said, Moses is gone, make us a golden calf. He said, okay, that's what you want, I'll make it for you. Then Moses comes back down and he says, Aaron, what in the world are you doing? He said, well, the people wanted it, and Moses didn't take that for an excuse. I put you there in a leadership position. You need to be standing for what God wants. And Moses stood for what God wanted. And I read it in the Spirit of Prophecy. It's a very powerful little statement there. She says that the people, when Moses was ripping through Aaron... I'm paraphrasing a little bit. When he was, given, he was given Aaron what for? The people felt sorry for Aaron because he was so mild and he, he so much understood them. But who was right? Moses was. You're finding the same thing in this story here. Let's, let us continue on here. So, so you have the leader of Israel, the supposedly pastor of Israel, the general conference president, as, as Ellen White at one point kind of compares him to. And then Samuel said to Saul, Stay, and I will tell you what the Lord has said unto me. And so it, it goes on, and, and uh, he comes back to him a little bit later in verse 18. The Lord sent you on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? And you flew on the spoil and did evil in the sight of the Lord. Look at his answer. Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've done exactly what God wanted me to do. I have gone the way which the Lord sent me. I brought back Agag, the king of, the of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. You know what he was doing here? Why he brought the king back? 
because that was a tradition of the pagans. That's what the other churches did when they conquered somebody. Are you following the mindset here? You know, the Bible says in Romans 15, 4, whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. In other words, it was written before so that we can learn from it. When we talk about the children of Israel in the Old Testament, we're talking about the church brothers and sisters. And when you find the church going out and saying, we want what the world has, that's exactly what's going to be happening again in the last days if I read the spirit of prophecy in the Bible correctly, and I believe I do. But God's going to have a people that's going to be standing. As minorities are going to be, we'll look at it as we keep going tonight. And Saul said to Samuel, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone out which the way the Lord has sent me. Verse 21 now. But the people... If you read through this and think about it, every time it's negative, it's your fault. Every time it's positive, it's, 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 my, it's me doing if it's positive. That is not a leader. That is not a leader. And at this point, you know what takes place? God removes him from the leadership position. It's not our duty to remove somebody from the leadership position. If you remember, David never one time considered harming Saul in any way because it was up to God. Sometimes we get a little zealous, don't we? And we want to get the pastor out of the way because he's not doing right. We want, to, we want the conference president or so-and-so. We need to move them out because they're not doing right. David says, no, nah, no, nah, it's God's business. Amen. Who took care of this situation? God did. And so what happens here? Samuel said, has the Lord such great light? Oh, because he said the people saved the ox and stuff to, to sacrifice. In verse 22, it's a very powerful statement. Samuel said, Hath the Lord such great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken better than the fat of lambs. Rams. It's better to obey than to ask forgiveness. Now, sometimes in my marriage, I'll do something and then tell Laura about it later. And it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is to ask permission sometimes. But we're not dealing with Laura. We're dealing with God. Amen? Amen? It goes on. For rebellion is the same sin as witchcraft. Has God convicted you on anything this week? Are you rebelling against what maybe God has spoken to you because it doesn't fit what I want to do? The Bible says if we're doing that, we're witches. And stubbornness is an iniquity. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, God's rejected you. Saul... According to, according to Samuel, what God has said to Samuel to tell Saul, I'm sorry, you're no longer considered the king in God's eyes. You're rejected. And now, just for the sake of time, I'm going to tell you the story because I want to get back to my favorite, my favorite story in all the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 17, David and Goliath. But for the sake of time, I want you to remember what happened. Whenever, Saul, whenever Samuel turned to walk away, he turned to walk away, and, 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 and Saul says, please, please, don't go, don't go. At least go worship with me in front of the elders. Why was he saying that? Because his concern wasn't for their salvation. His concern wasn't for God and his righteousness. His concern was what people thought of him. Brothers and sisters, we can't worry about what people think of us. It's what God thinks of us that we've got to worry about. You ever notice I talk really fast? I get criticized for that all the time. But I figure I can get twice as much in in one sermon. Can you imagine today's sermon would have been two hours if I would talk slow? But I don't mind being criticized for that. It keeps you humble. Let's continue on. But it's not what you think. It's what God thinks. Is, it, is everybody with me here? We're, okay, now let's go back to the story. Now we know why Saul can't go fight Goliath. Why can't he? Because he's afraid because he knows that God has now rejected him. You can't go fight a battle for the Lord when you know that God's rejected you. 
When you, let me put it another way. When I'm living in open sin and God's convicting me of it and I, and I continue on, you're not going to win a battle for the Lord. You're not going to do it. And Saul knew that. Saul was afraid to go. He said, I can't go fight. And can you imagine him sitting there in his tent, oh, you know, like seven foot Saul going, do the people's expecting this of me? I mean, they put me to the king, and I've been rejected by God. Can you imagine the, the, the rumblings going on in his head? Not only with him, from him, but all the children of Israel. Let's go to verse 10. That Philistine, and the Philistine uh, said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Perfect love casts out all fear. There was not perfect love for God here. They were all afraid. Now listen, the whole church was afraid of this non-believer. Why were they so afraid? Because it was an impossible task. I mean, it, it was impossible to, to, for somebody to whip this guy. It can't be done, humanly speaking. Now, we're going to have a flashback. Verses 12 through 16 explains why David's not there. David went back from being in the palace with the king, <laughs> working in the general conference office, he went back to his local church and fed the sheep. Are you following me? No pride there, right? He just done what he was told. He didn't stand up and say, don't you know who I am? He just obeyed. He goes back. But then after a certain amount of time, his dad comes to him and says, David, I, I want you to um, go down and check on your brothers there at the evangelistic series. At the battle they're having there. So, so verse 14, David and, and the youngest of his, or I'm sorry, verse 15, David went and returned to Saul to feed the sheep in Bethlehem. There. The Philistine drew near every morning and evening, presenting himself for 40 days. He's threatening them for 40 days. Can you imagine every day it's getting worse and worse? The taunts, the mocking, the making fun of. Can you imagine the persecution the Christians were under there, the followers of God? But now it gets better. Jesse said to David, his son, Take now thy brethren an ephah of parched corn and these, ten cheese, and these ten loaves and run to the camp of his brethren and carry these ten cheeses, they hadn't had a health message yet, unto the captain of their thousand and look now upon your brethren if they're fair and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Now were they really fighting with the Philistines? No, they were doing what we call today trash talking. Right? The giant would come down and he would trash talk a little bit and they would say, Oh yeah! Nobody was fighting. It says they were fighting, but were they fighting? You don't find anything that they were fighting in the Bible. Now let's go to verse 20. David rose up early in the morning and obeyed. He left the sheep with the keeper and made sure he took care of that, the, the, the local church. He, he took and went and as Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight, and they shouted for battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of his keeper of the, arm, uh, the keeper of the carriage and ran to the army and came and saluted his brethren. Hey, guys, how's it going? And they talked with him. Behold, there came up, the, as they talked, behold, there came up the, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spoke according to the same words. And I love the last part of this verse. And David heard it. <laughs> David's like, what? what? What did I just hear? Why are you guys standing here? Can you imagine his wrath? It's like the whole army standing here and you, got this, you have this uncircumcised non-believer threatening the church of God and you're standing still? What's the matter with you people? And the church is saying, but David, look how big he is. It's an impossible task. God hasn't given us the, the, the equipment to, to, to fight this guy. 
So the men of Israel said to David, Have you seen this man that's come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up? And it shall be that the man that kills him, now get this, the man that kills him, the king will enrich with great riches. He'll give him his daughter. He'll make his father's house free in Israel. And David spoke to the men that stood by him and said, What? You mean, you mean let, me, let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. I go obey God and take care of this Philistine. I get a new wife. I become rich, and my parents don't have to pay taxes anymore? Count me in! <laughs> right? I'm ready to go. All I have to do is obey God, and I get all this on top of it? Great reward, isn't it? David's wondering, looking around, wondering, said, why isn't anybody... Maybe I'm missing something. Why isn't anybody taking you up on this? They're like, David, look how big he is. But, but, but God! <sighs> this whole God thing is getting on my nerves, Right? The, the people in the church is tired of hearing about faith and standing for what's right and, and doing what God would have them to do. That's, all, that's what they did in the old days. That's what they did a long time ago when, when, God, when God was working in the church. But He doesn't work in a church today. Can you imagine the arguments? Do, do you see the modern-day application? It makes me think of, of my, one of my more favorite characters in the Bible, a fellow by the name of Gideon. Do you know what Gideon's nickname was? Jerubbabel. He got that nickname after he made a stand for God, and they renamed him Jerubbabel, which means let Baal plead for himself. He got a new nickname. I want a new nickname like that. Like, like every time somebody says your name, they say, oh, yeah, he's the guy that stands for God. He's the guy that made a stand against the enemies, right? But as Jerubbabel was hiding one day, and, and, and he was thrashing wheat and things like that, God comes and speaks to him and says, you're a mighty man of valor. You talking to me? And then God sent him to do a great work for him, and he obeyed. David here, David here going up against the Goliath, he recognized something needs to be done. But the church is sleeping. The church is like, it can't be done. Oh, Gideon said to the angel that come to him, I remember when God used to do things for us. Oh, I've heard the stories about crossing, crossing the sea, and, and I've heard the stories about the man, and I've heard all this stuff, but God's not with us anymore. Judges chapter 6. That's where that's at. Judges chapter 6 and 7. Let me go on in the story here. So, David just found out that that uh, he can be free in Israel and work, or, or, free his family be free from taxes. He gets a new wife and gets a lot of money just for obeying God. So verse 26, he says, What shall be done to the man that kills the Philistine and takes away this reproach from Israel? What was his concern? Was it about his wealth he was going to get? No, his concern was for God. Because he says this, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who was, je who was David jealous for? Yeah, he had pride, didn't he? That's what the church members said. As a matter of fact, his eldest brother, we'll call him the elder of the church, said, you ain't got nothing but pride. I know your heart, how naughty you are. How judgmental. Let us look at it. Let us, let us keep going down through here, and let's follow along. In verse, in verse um, 27, the people answered him again after the same manner, saying, so shall it be done to the man that kills him. So, so now David, David here has heard it again. You kill him, you got it made. Do you know at this point David was the king of Israel? In chapter 16, he'd been anointed. God had anointed him the king of Israel. So David says, um, after David asked what's going on here, now you remember there was, a, there was a certain fellow that everybody thought should have been anointed the next king of Israel. Do you know who it was? It's in the next verse. Eliab. Remember Samuel looked on him? Whew, nice looking guy. He's tall. He's got to be the man. <laughs> That's the one for sure. And God says, no, 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 no. Don't look at him because he's tall and good looking. Uh, I got a little guy out there in, in, work, working with a sheep. He's not quite so tall, but he's still good looking. You remember David was pretty. right? He's just a little guy. He's going to be my man. And Eliab saw David anointed the next general conference president in front of him. 
Can you imagine the little jealousy that rose up in his heart? Can you imagine what he's thinking? He's going to be king instead of me? All the brothers saw it. They all saw it. So look what Eliab says to David. Look what he says. So you've got to kind of get the idea of the, of the jealousy that he has to David already. David's making a stand for God. He's not thinking about all this kingship stuff and the pride and all that. He, he's thinking about God, but he's being judged very harshly. Eliab, his elder brother, said to him, and when he heard David speak unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Why? Because his fear was exposed. And he said, Why did you come here? And with whom did you leave those few little sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride. I know the naughtiness of your heart. For you come down that you may see the battle. His brother starts accusing David of not being there for any other reason than, than, than to be proud, be boastful, be arrogant. You can't go fight Goliath. You're nothing more. He reminds him where he comes from. You're nothing more than a sheep herder. He doesn't, he doesn't do anything other than remind him what he is. Remind him where he comes from. And the devil and the people in the church, sometimes brothers and sisters, if you want to make a stand for God and go do something for him, they're going to do the same thing to you. They're going to be reminding you that you're nothing more. I'm nothing more than a forklift mechanic. That's it. God took me from that. And when God took me and moved me someplace, I felt the wrath of others. And then you have to struggle. You know? Some people say, oh, you're so proud and arrogant. Me? That's awful harsh. But you know why people say that about you? If you make a stand for God, that's going to rise up in their heart. You make a stand for God, it's going to rise up. But notice the reaction of David and learn a lesson well. David said, what have I done? Is there not a cause? And turn from him toward another. David didn't argue with the elder of the church, his older brother. He didn't stand there and try to just, just defend himself and say, say, it's unfair that you're hard on me. Why are you treating me that way? His, because his mind wasn't about himself. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? It wasn't about him and his pride and, and what was going to happen with him. It was about God and what I'm going to do for God. And he was able to ignore his brother because it was a greater cause. The greater cause was going to make us and, and be serving God. But he never run down his brother. You don't have one record of him running his brother down. You don't have, you don't have one record of him ever to try and defend his own self. He just stands for God. I love it. He, so he turns to another and he spake to another in the same manner. And the people answered him again as, as after the former manner. So now David has heard three times. Man, if I just go stand for God, I know, I know the elder in the church doesn't want me to do it. I know there's going uh, to be a struggle here. There's definitely going to be a struggle. But if I'll make a stand for God, I've got it all. I've served God. God's going to be pleased. I can't lose. Can you lose when you're serving God? Like if, if you're going out and you're doing something for God and His honor, are you going to lose? Are you going to fail? And let me tell you this. If you're doing it for your own pride and glory, you will fail. God will see to it. He, he's, he wants to get you in the kingdom. And if your pride is going to rise up and get in the way of getting you in the kingdom, you'll fall. But the righteous man gets up only one time, right? Yeah, the righteous man keeps getting up. Oh, Lord, thank you for humbling me. You follow this? Amen. It's powerful, isn't it? David goes on. So the, verse 31, and when the words were heard which David spoke, <laughs> they went and told the king. Now, I can picture King Saul. He's sitting in his tent. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? King, we've got a man that's going to fight Goliath. Oh, praise the Lord. All right, bring him in. <laughs> that's, I, that guy looks familiar to me. It's like I've seen him somewhere before. <sighs> So David said to Saul, David comes in. I can, I can just see him pouncing in there. 
hiking. Maybe not like that. <laughs> but can you imagine him? He's going in there, and he says, don't nobody be afraid. Look at verse 32. He said to Saul, don't let no man's heart fail them because of him. Your servant, he'll go fight that Philistine. And Saul says to David, now we're talking about the, the, the conference president or general conference president. Now, I'm not running down conference presidents and general conference presidents. You all understand this, right? Uh, I mean, we're, we're comparing it to things that are going on. Now, are there times that maybe, that maybe some leadership is lacking in faith? Oh, yeah. oh you can say yes. It's okay. Sometimes there, there are leadership lacking in faith. In my life, have I lacked in faith at times? Right? But does that mean you can't go forward in faith? Remember, the whole church here is standing still. Nobody's moving forward. And you got one man, one man willing to stand for God. So he goes to, he goes to the king. He goes to the conference president and said, let me go preach that series. And, and, and Saul said to David, you can't go fight this Philistine. You can't go fight with him, for you're but a youth. You're just a, you're just a kid. You're the young people. And he's a man of war from his youth. Now, at this point, David could jump up and say, Well, Saul, you're a coward. You won't go fight. Let me go do it. What would that got him? Nothing. Saul, you shouldn't be the king. Who made you? Why do you think you need to be the conference president? Right? He could have jumped all right down his throat and said, You're a coward. You're not willing to stand for God. What's the matter with you? He could have done these things, couldn't he? He could have been ready to get the army together and throw Saul out and make me the king. After all, had God not anointed him and he knew it? But David said nothing. You know what David done when it came down to it right here? David done what you and I have to do. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony they overcome. David didn't argue with the king. You know what he did? He shared his testimony. He said, hey, king, king, before you get too excited here, let me tell you something. David said to Saul in verse 34, your servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and they took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him, and I smote him, and I delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I cut him by the beard, and I smote him, and I slew him. And your servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. And Saul, God bless him, had enough sense, to not, even though he didn't have faith to move forward, he got out of the way. And the reason, he had, the reason he could get out of the way is because David had had an experience with God. Brothers and sisters, I go into churches and I hear them say, hey, the young people's the future of the church, so they've got to be the leaders of the church, and they can't even pray. I can understand Saul's uh, apprehension here. You know, this is just a young guy wanting to come in and take over. Why should I let him take over? And we're, we're doing that. We're taking young people and saying, well, well, they're the future of the church. Let's put them up there, and, and, and then let's put them do this. And they say, well, the young people's like, well, you know, I, I remember, like, um, I, I watched this guy on stage one time. He had this electric guitar, and another guy had drums. Well, let's just do that. No. The reason David, as a young person, was able to become a leader in God's church is because David had had an experience with God. I'm, I'm willing to make any young person or old person a leader in, in a church that I'm a, a member of or, or a pastor of. I'm willing to put them in that position. But if they haven't had an experience of God, what reason do I have to do that? You don't get to be a leader in God's church without God putting you there. And God won't put you there, brothers and sisters, unless you've had an experience with Him. Amen. David was faithful in the small things. I mean, the little things like killing the bear and the lion. And he was ready to go take on Goliath. You want to do something great for God? Start in the little things. You, you most young people there, the youngest of all. Right? You want to be faithful to God? You want to be serving God when you get older? When, when somebody gives you a dollar, do you, do you give tithes on that? You're learning to trust God at a young age? David was faithful. He would be out there taking care of the sheep in the cold of the night, and he would stay awake and would just put the toothpicks in the eyelids, you know, to keep them awake because a bear might come by or a lion, and I've got to stop them. 
because he's faithful in the little things. And God, God, the Bible says if you're faithful in that which is little, God will help you to be faithful in that which is great. And David here, he had been faithful in the little things. And now God had put him in a position to be faithful in the great things. And so when it has this opportunity to come, and, and, and it says, like, how, how do we know, David, that, that you can do this? And David says, let me show you my, let me, let me give you my testimony. Let me tell you what God's done in my life, and then you'll know that God can use me. And so David shares his testimony, and Saul says, brother, by all means, let us, let us follow along here. David said, moreover, the Lord delivered me out of the, hand of the, uh, out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, and he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. But now Saul got to thinking. David, he has on this, like, this loincloth thing and that little thing around his thing, and He's got a stick in his hand, and, 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 and like, like, like that little, little Dennis the Menace fellow I used to watch when I was a heathen with that slingshot in his back pocket, he's going to go fight that guy? Goliath has on this, this, this armor. Goliath is ready to go to battle. You know what Saul actually does? He offers David the same equipment that the enemies of God are using to fight God. Look what happens. Saul armed David with his armor. He put a helmet of brass on his head, just like Goliath. He armed him with a coat of mail, just like Goliath. David girded on the sword and his armor, just like Goliath. And he said, well, well, conference president, if you want me to wear it, I'll, I'll do it. So he goes walking out there, and he's like, you know what? I've never used this stuff before. I've never used it before. But God has shown me something we, we've used for, for many, many, many years works just fine. Yeah. I've conquered the lion and the bear with it. And God shows me it works. Let me tell you what it is. David says, I haven't proved this stuff. I've never used it. So he took it off. David took off the stuff and he says, I'll just take my, my slingshot and my stick. I can, I, I can do it. Now, let me ask you. If David would have put on the armor that King Saul had given him and he would have won the battle, who would have got the glory? Oh, Saul in the armor. The, the only reason David was able to overcome that Goliath fella was because he had on the right armor. Are you following that? Yeah. But now if David goes down there with a slingshot in his back pocket and a stick in his hand and he kills, the, and he kills Goliath who's wearing armor and a sword and a spear and all this stuff with a guy in front of him, who gets the glory? God does. Why does God get the glory? Because it's an impossible situation and David trusted God. Isn't that powerful to think about? Here, David, you take the same stuff that the world's using to fight the church with, and you use that, and your church will be just fine. Oh, I have a burden, brothers and sisters, coming out of the world, coming out of heathenism, into the church, and when I see us bringing that stuff in, I always want to scream, but I'm not Pentecostal. You know what I found out? That my slingshot and my rocks, the same ones they used back in, like, 1863, the same ones they used back in the year, say, say, 31 A.D., 34 A.D., 35, on through that time frame, that same rock and stone works today. And that rock and stone is when you take the Word of God and you preach it to people. Amen. You give them the message of the Word of God, and the Spirit of God does the convicting. Amen. And so David's going to prove that to the king. Can you imagine now what the king's thinking? He didn't take the armor. That church is never going to grow. Verse 41. Oh, actually, verse 40. And he took his staff in his hand, and he picked out five smooth stones. You know why that is. Goliath had four brothers. <laughs> you know, you, you found that, haven't you, in 2 Samuel 21? Goliath had four brothers, so he took, he took, he took five stones in case, in case they wanted some too. 
That is faith. So David takes five smooth stones out of the brook, and he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a, in a script, and with his sling in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine, to God be the glory. Can you imagine? He, now, remember, the church all believed, didn't they? What were they doing? Standing still. What did David do, the one that had faith? He starts moving toward the Philistine. Now, so, so, so you can imagine here this nine-foot guy standing back there, and he's been taunting him, and all of a sudden, off in the distance, he sees this, what in the world? What's going on out there? The Philistine came on. He drew near to David, and the man that bare his shield went before him, the guy that's shield in front of him. And when the Philistine, so David's taking on two guys. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and good-looking. That's ruddy. And of a fair countenance. That's, that's you know, the ruddy was the, the dark. I mean, the fair countenance means he was cute. Yeah, he's a cute guy. Can you imagine? This cute little guy going to fight me? Well, I'll, I'll wear him out. Here, hold my armor. <laughs> Let's go on. He disdained him. And, and, says, and it goes on here and it says, and verse 43, And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that you come out with me with a stick? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And I can picture David's hair standing up on the back of his neck. He just cursed him by God? I'm going to kill him. Why? Because he's jealous for God. His passion is for God, not his pride, not his arrogance. Is he accused of it being his pride and arrogance? Absolutely, but it's for God. And I can imagine his brothers thinking, I can't look. What are we going to tell Dad? <laughs> so you had Eliab, his oldest brother. You can't do it. You had, the, you had King, King Saul, the king. You can't do it. Now he has the enemy of God saying, you can't do it. And again, David has something to draw from, and that's the experience with the Lord. <laughs> He could never fight this battle had he not had experience first. I'm not talking about experience sitting in a classroom. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm talking about experience on your knees. I'm talking about an experience hands-on of what, what God can do in somebody's life. That's the experience that David had, and that's the experience you and I are going to need to get through the time of trouble that is coming on this earth. And so David... After hearing, after hearing that take place, and the Philistine, the Philistine says in verse 44, David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. <laughs> David says, I can trash talk. David said to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a shield, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts. You better be trembling. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, same message, the enemies of God are still defying the church of God, and the church of God is afraid to say something about it. Oh, they got such a strong argument for evolution. What shall we do? We should do what the Bible says and tell them they're wrong. Amen. And don't bring that into our churches and schools. Amen. So David here is making a stand for God. And the Philistine has promised him he's going to feed his, feed, him to the, feed his flesh to the birds. And David says, I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord in verse 46. Now look at verse 46. What was it that, 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 that Goliath promised David? I'm going to feed you to the birds, right? Look what David promises Goliath. This day will the Lord deliver me, deliver thee into my hand, and I will kill you, and I'm going to take your head from you. David didn't have a sword. He didn't have a pocket knife. I'm going to kill you and take your head from you. How does he know he can do that? That is faith. He knew that God was going to deliver him. I'm going to take your head from you. Not only am I going to do that, but when I'm done with you, 
I'm going to give you the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. What was the purpose? What was the battle plan? God's glory. And so David, David at this point, can you imagine a Philistine? Ellen White says he does this. He's so angry, he pulls his helmet up. What a mistake. He pulls his helmet back because he's so angry. And, he said, and it goes on here. Um, where did I leave off? Verse 47. <laughs> and all the assembly shall know that there is a Lord that saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you to our hands. Verse 48. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came, and, and came and drew nigh to David, David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. That is faith. The, arm, the church, the believers were standing still. They were standing their ground. They were standing firm. But David, when this nine-foot giant comes out of him, he doesn't take his first step back like I would do. He says, oh, yeah? Right? He's running at the giant. There's a difference there. And it's, it's, a, it's a powerful difference that we must not miss. We're all believers, but how many of us are just standing our ground? Brothers and sisters, it's one thing to stand your ground and say, we're not bringing that stuff into the church. We're, we're going to sit right here and die. And saying, you're not bringing that stuff in my church and going out and reaching souls. There's a big difference. Oh, so many churches are just growing old and dying. They're, they're so worried about maybe bringing in some kind of heresy. They don't want to go out and reach one heretic. The church is standing its ground, not moving forward. And David says, look, look church, look, if we don't move forward, we're going to die. We're going to cease to exist as a church. And so David says, if you won't move forward, I will. And I want you to notice what happens. So David, David put, on it, put his hand down in his bag. He took out a stone. He slung it, and he hit that Philistine right between the eyes. That's Kentucky talk. <laughs> it smote him in the forehead, and the stone, the stone sunk deep into his forehead, and he fell upon the face, uh, face upon the earth. Now, David didn't stop right there. So verse 50, David prevailed over the Philistine, and with a sling and with a stone, the Bible makes it very clear, David just used a rock and a sling. That's it. Impossible odds, impossible situation, but God guided that stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But he didn't have a sword in his hand. So David climbed up on the back of that Philistine. David ran and stood upon the Philistine, took out the sword. He, he took it out of the sheath and he cut off his head. And he picked it up and took it to the king. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they ran. Here's the point of the entire message. The men of Israel and of Judah at this time shouted, pursued, until they came to the valley and the gates of Ekron. They ran him out of Judah. Brothers and sisters, God is looking for one man. God is looking for one woman, one person. And no matter what your local congregation is, no matter what your church is, he's looking for one person to make a stand for him, and he's going to do great things through that person. He doesn't call us to argue with the leadership. He doesn't call us to try to, try to remove the obstacles that we think are in our way, in our own self-righteous judging and deciding who, who's in the way and who's the tares and who's the wheat. He doesn't call us to do that. He calls us to do what David did. David simply made a stand for God, and God removed the obstacles. You may be in a little church in somewhere in Kentucky. I doubt any of you are there. A little church somewhere in Kentucky with 10 members in it. And that church doesn't want to do anything, but what's stopping you? I've heard people, they, they, go, they go home from something like this and they'll go in and say, I've been trying to get to church and they just won't do nothing. What are you doing? 
God wants one person to make a stand, just one, and the whole army pursued. Who wants to be that one person in their church? That one person. Me too. I'm going to make an appeal at the end of this one. I'm going to ask. Not that maybe, maybe, maybe everybody couldn't fit up here in the front. I don't know. But I want to have an appeal that we be that one person. Not that we're going to go out and fight with church people. But brothers and sisters, we're going to fight for God. Hey, listen. If they're bringing stuff into your church that God doesn't want in there, you don't have to be there. I would saturate that church with my absence and find somebody that was worshiping God. I know that's awful harsh, but we're in the last days. God is raising up a people, both young and old, that's going to make a stand for Him. They're going to move forward in faith, doing whatever they can to make a beginning and laboring in Christ's lines. And the promise is the way will be open before them. It will show the energy that is necessary in order to gain success and a faith that goes forward unquestionably in obedience to God's command. The promise is to you and to me, rich returns will be theirs. Evangelism, page 18, bottom part, top of 19. Rich returns. Can you imagine walking up in the kingdom someday and somebody coming up to your sister and saying, <laughs> about five years ago, you come to my door and you gave me a book. I read that book. My heart was touched and the Lord used that to get me here where I'm at right now. Thank you. Can you imagine eternal life given to somebody because you've done something for God? I want that. I want to invite you to get out of your seats. If you want to be that one person, I know this is a call that's going to get everybody. You're going to feel guilty if you don't, but that's okay. But God knows your heart. See, he knows whether or not you're doing it because you really mean it, you're doing it because everybody else is doing it. God bless you, brothers. Come down, and we're going to have a prayer that God will help us to be that one person, that one faithful soul winner, that one that God has called to finish the work that God has given us to do. God bless you all. As we, as we close up here, I'm just, going to have, I'm just going to have a word of prayer after everybody gets up here. I want to be that man, don't you? Praise the Lord. Praise God. Those of you that didn't get up, I know that God's working on your heart. You probably felt like getting up. Praise the Lord. Can we all like kneel together? Our Father in heaven, you've seen the commitment that we've made here tonight. Father, this is not just a commitment of, of uh, guilt, but I believe with all my heart you've spoken to us tonight. You've spoken to me again, Lord, through this story as I see a man that stands for you no matter what is going on. Though the heavens fall, he stood for what is right. Though his life was on the line and he could very well die, he stood for what is right. And Father, we want to have that same faith and that same courage. Please, God. Every soul that has made that commitment tonight, give them that courage as they, as they will be soon going back to their churches, going back to the sunlight of the day and the heat of the day and the, and, the, and the problems that come along with regular everyday living, Lord, and we come off of this mountain. But Lord, I pray that you'll draw us to you and that we will not give up in the faith that you have sparked in our hearts this week. Father, when you come, may you see each one of us say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, is my prayer earnestly. Help us to be a David. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen.